Welcome to Masterclass, a collaboration between the virtual world diplomacy community and Brotherboard's Diplomacy Dojo. The host for this week's Masterclass episode is expert diplomacy player, David Maletsky. All right, uh, I've written down some bullet points uh, and I'm going to talk for a bit and try to address what I've got. But at a certain point, I'm just going to open it up to questions because I would I don't want this to be, you know, an hour-long sermon. I want to just get some points out into the ether and then have everybody participate. First off, grand strategy is uh, generally thought of as defined by three elements, one of which doesn't really apply to diplomacy. The two that do are that uh, grand strategy, as opposed to what was uh, just simply strategy and prior thinking before the term emerged, is about um, having more than just the military involved. Uh, that's one of the points that you, you're taking into consideration economy and your diplomacy and technology and all sorts of other, you know, it's a more holistic view of uh, how to pursue your war effort. A second point that I think applies to diplomacy is that you're not just concerned with the external, but with the internal. I'm going to start off uh, talking about uh, how that applies. Uh, what I mean by the internal is um, uh, going to be two things in relation to grand strategy. One is that how you see the map is going to have a huge impact on your play and your results. And one of the uh, pitfalls for new to mid-range players is that they tunnel vision into their side of the board. I'll talk about the butterfly effect on the board a bit later, but you need to be able to see the entire map uh, all the time. You need to pay attention to the most seemingly innocuous or irrelevant things that are occurring because they will all have an impact on you, your position, your future uh, prospects, and so on. The other thing I wanted to say about the internal is something I bring up to in pretty much every time I give a speech in, about diplomacy is that it's extremely important to remain confident and optimistic no matter what's happening. You can easily take yourself out of the game, typically a lot more easily than anyone else can take you out of the game. If uh, you go into the game with a good mindset, um, you're trying to win the game or trying to perform up to whatever uh, other goal has been set by the entity you're participating in, whether it be a league or a tournament um, scoring system or what have you. It's imperative that you have an irrationally high estimation of your abilities and uh, your ability to succeed. Because a solo victory or even getting a big result in diplomacy is not going to be that frequent of an occurrence, especially for an act to actually win the game. But you have to have the outlook that you're going to do well, um, because otherwise you're just hamstringing yourself. All right, so that said, let me get into these other points. So getting back to seeing the entire map, actions have consequences in the game. And it's not just your actions, it's everyone's actions. Let's say you're playing any country, it really doesn't matter, but let's say uh, France, for example. Uh, you sit down at the table, 
you've got your neighbors, you've got people on the far side of the board. So then you consider uh, what's Turkey doing. Typically, most French players, especially newer to mid-range players, will touch base with them briefly or try to have like a friendly vibe, but you know, not really interested in wasting uh, much of their diplomacy time interacting with Turkey. However, uh, Turkey, aside from the fact that they can do things for you, like, uh, you know, uh, share information and whatnot, every position, as I mentioned earlier, has an impact on you. So let's say Turkey ends up going north against Russia. Russia is then going to, in all likelihood, react to that if they haven't already positioned south, which is going to minimize the effort they put into the north, which is going to give England a freer hand and also Germany a freer hand and increase the likelihood that uh, those two are going to have more strategic flexibility to operate against you or the other. The butterfly effect on the board is a real uh, real critical element of the grand strategy that uh, I think, and probably the most significant point that new to mid-range players fall down on just from lack of experience. So, so I mentioned flexibility, uh, so I want to bring up two points about that. One is that it's like chess or like other strategy games, you want to plan ahead, but you also have to remain flexible to react to what's happening because... It's not chess. It's not deterministic. It's uh, not a meritocracy either. You can, you can have your plans thrown thrown awry uh, just by virtue of a terrible player doing you know things you would have never imagined happening. And not only do you have to keep your head in the game, but you also have to have the flexibility in your plans to adapt to changing circumstances. In order to have that flexibility. I'm going to now speak from my personal play style. Uh, I would say there's another play style that is uh, more the norm in diplomacy, which is uh, try to um, work with an ally to gain tempo and get across stalemate lines. I'm going to advocate to do otherwise, but I don't mean to run that down. To be clear, uh, that's a valid way to play the game. But... In the words of uh, Thucydides, uh, I'm probably going to butcher, my Greek is not so great, but amathia men thrasos logismos to aknon fere, which roughly uh, translated is ignorance is bold, knowledge reserved, which means in diplomacy terms, uh, the reason I play the way I do, especially in the early game, is I want to have strategic flexibility more than anything. Um, I will sacrifice uh, centers, pace, what have you, to get the flow of the board moving away from me. And there are multiple reasons for that. One of them is the Thucydides point, that at the beginning of the game, the spring uh, 1901 diplomacy phase, you do what you can to try to make your guesses and gather information and uh, you know assess who's being truthful to you. But it's very much a crapshoot at that point. You don't really know what's going on until you see some moves on the board. So my preference is that I don't want to pick the wrong enemy effectively. Uh, once I gain some knowledge, then I can make some better informed decisions. But 
um, to just uh, spear into somebody out at the outset. There's it's as good a chance as not that they were the only neighbor w willing to work with you, and now you've just ruined that. So I, I, I would uh, caution against uh, er very early aggression in the game because the value of strategic flexibility is that to get back to the butterfly effect, let's say you do get succeed in getting the flow of the board moving away from you. Let's say I'm France and I've contentedly picked up Iberia and ceded Belgium to whomever, preferably Germany, because I would uh, much rather have Germany have it than England because England will be a problem later in the game and Germany is in the center of the board more exposed and they're probably going to need the center more. So, so let's say I'm France in that situation and I've gotten, like England's gone north or has, has started to go north and Germany is not like it's sitting in the roar and, uh, you know, like maybe they're in Munich and uh, Belgium, but they're not like, they, they haven't loaded up on my front and Italy is uh, open neutral or to the east. Even if I'm not gaining centers uh, tactically by force in the upcoming turns, I can lay off my uh, lay off my neighbors and or attack my neighbors uh, as it affects my uh, positive chances to win the game. Uh, in other words, if I uh, let's say Germany's starting to grow uh, pro prosper, they're invading Russia or something, um, and they've picked up Sweden and they're looking to get Warsaw, I can say, look, uh, I want to stay on good terms with you. But realistically, I've got to have Belgium at this point just because, you know, I don't want to, I'm not saying I need to be ahead, but I need to be reasonably competitive as this uh, goes on. So you don't have to have, you don't have to be actively allied working on a front. You can have a detente that's productive for the both of you and collaborative as well. Also in that position, I would say uh, if you're working with England, that you can potentially set up a convoy chain for yourself, right? Uh, I, I think there's all sorts of uh, interactions available in the diplomacy board that are more nuanced and still yet productive, um, not just for your short-term, but your long-term interest than grab an ally and bludgeon someone to death. Um, let me also say about bludgeoning someone to death that it is usually the wrong choice in the game if you're trying to actually win the game. Now, if your goal is to get to, you know, I don't know, 12 centers and call the game or something, then uh, maybe not. But if you're, if you're actually trying to win the game, you want to have good relations with as many people as possible, uh, as late as possible, because at the end of the game, when people are frustrated with each other, then you'll be in the position where they, they'll more likely want you to succeed than for the people they're super frustrated with to succeed. Dave, when you say win, do you mean top the board, solo, or both? I never mean top the board. Uh, that is an abomination uh, uh, created by artificial scoring systems. There's only one sense of win in the game, and it's given to us by the rule book, um, and it's solo victory. If I want to say top the board, I will say top the board, because that is uh, something m much less magnificent, let's say. If you're playing a multi-game entity like a tournament or a, um, a league or what have you, then there's meta-level considerations uh, for your success across multiple games that might cause you to 
might cause you to not want to solo. Like if you're playing in a tournament with a scoring system where, where a solo doesn't guarantee you an enormous score. Like for instance, if you're playing at Carnage, you want to solo the first round, hands down. You want to solo the second round. You want to solo any round you can get it. Because if you solo, nobody can catch you without soloing. So there's no sense. You're not going to get the crap beaten out of you the next round because it's senseless for other players to do that. You know, they don't need to just suppress your score because that's going to be insufficient for their interests. So you don't have the same metagaming concern. Whereas if you're playing under a scoring system where two big results that are not solos will trump a solo and an elimination then maybe you don't want to win the game in the first round, you know? So I, I think uh, the scoring systems create a, an artificial metagame that's, I think, best saved for another masterclass uh, from someone else. But anyway, so let me talk a little bit more about the butterfly effect, and then we'll get into questions. I, I, I'm assuming everyone is familiar with the term, but if, if there are some who are not, the butterfly effect refers to that if a butterfly flaps its wings in one area of the world, that a thunderstorm or something could occur in another area of the world because everything is intertwined. And that could not be more true in diplomacy, that everything that's happening on the board has an impact all across the board, rippling through not just the current turn, but future turns. And you have to have as much of a... Uh, an apprehension of that as you can. The more information you have and the more attentive you are, particularly to what's not going on next to you, because obviously you're going to be attentive to what's happening on your borders, the more success you're going to end up having. And it's really important to combine an understanding of the entire map with a kind of a golden rule mentality where you're constantly trying not just uh, diplomatically, but tactically and strategically to put yourself into the shoes, the metaphorical shoes of each other, every other country, because that's just good tactics, frankly. Like um, anyone can get to a baseline level of tactical competence, but uh, high level tactics is pure psychology and uh, uh, understanding what the other person is going to try to do and outguessing them as a consequence. But strategically, it's also still important to put yourself in the shoes of every other player and understand what their motivations likely are, given the evidence of their moves and given uh, the evidence of what they've said, taken with, uh, obviously, a grain of salt. The moves carry a greater weight, uh, but, you know, you can't ignore what people are saying either. And... If, if you're able to put yourself in the shoes of everyone else and understand where everyone else is coming from, then you're finally, once you have that level of understanding of what's going on in the game, then you're finally in a position to really be able to push and pull on levers to advance your own interests competently while also allowing others to feel like their interests are getting advanced in the ways that they're, they would want. Or that if they're not, that they're uh, seeing the source of the uh, their frustrations being players other than yourself, um, which is ult what's ultimately going to uh, create a situation where you have a chance to win the game in the late game. 
I, I could talk more, but I think that's enough for now. So let's open it up to questions or comments, and hopefully this will be more of a uh, collaborative effort from this point forward. And you're talking about the um, desire to wait. Uh, well, I'm not sure if you're talking about a desire to wait and be patient. You're talking about a desire not to commit very early. Uh, being a, a less experienced uh, player, certainly much less experienced than you, I sometimes find that what binds me to an ally is the collective action that we can we can do. How do you develop those relationships early in the game where you feel comfortable with somebody when you're not doing something together? Um, so mostly what you do is you demonstrate in the evidence of your moves uh, and in what you're saying, two things. One is consistency, because if you're acting capriciously or randomly, you're going to be seen as a threat by virtually any player. Um, you're, you're, you're not going to be seen as someone reliable to have on side. And the other thing is to move in ways that will, uh, if even if you're not actively collaborating, you show that you're um, not threatening to their position. You sacrifice perhaps some, uh, you know, tactical optimization in the interests of preserving your diplomatic relationships. So, like, let's say you're France or England. Uh, tactically, uh, being in the English Channel is a desirable place to be, right? It's adjacent to a bunch of centers. It gives you a lot of leverage and so on. But the second one of you is in there, uh, the other ones, they're going to be, you know, not happy at, at, in the best case scenario, and you've uh, until you're out of there, you're, you've likely at best got a uh, tense situation, and at worst have provoked an enemy. I, I think uh, there's a lot of positions on the board where just by establishing a uh, healthy detente and not being uh, perce perceived as threatening, um, even if you have to sacrifice a little tempo to do it, uh, it's well worthwhile. And also, uh, I wanted to touch on a uh, pacing that you mentioned. I'm not saying always go slow, because that would be inane. Uh, what I'm saying is that uh, you want to proceed with as full information as you can have, and that the pace of your side on the board, of, of your side of the board, your heartland, only needs to be as fast as the pace on the other side of the board. So if you're able to slow the far side of the board for your diplomacy and strategy to a cloying cluster where they're not doing anything, then you can go as slow as you want on your side of the board. On the other hand, if the other side of the board has just like gone in and mowed down a, a, some power and then like they're looking to uh, start to cross the stalemate line, then you need to adapt to that circumstance, and you can't. You, you you know you either need to form a grand alliance and race up to the line, or you need to uh, similarly destroy someone or marginalize someone on your side of the board to keep pace with them. So I'm not saying go slow. You want to be uh, just not going slow, significantly slower than other players and alliances on the board. Um, what are some of the uh, questions I ask other players to get more information? Frequently, if you're, let's say, uh, you're talking to players on the far side of the board, like on your side of the board, it's much more uh, straightforward. You're going to have your conversations and you're going to see the evidence of the moves at the turn later. So 
you're gonna know uh with a maximum of one turn delay uh whether they're screwing you over or not uh but uh as regards talking to the people who are not your neighbors um you it's it's i think imperative to make a real effort to have not just good relationships with them but also uh come up with uh, your first goal should be to come up with um, arguments that your interests are conjoined and come up with a strategic strategic picture, even if it's not one you're personally committed mm -hmm. to, even if it's not going to happen now or a turn from now, that down the road, uh, yeah, X, Y, and Z are going to uh, cause you uh, both to succeed. Um, and once you... Once you uh, paint a picture for them where um, you can collaborate over the course of the game and you continue to touch base every turn, uh, even if it's just briefly so that you preserve a dialogue, uh, even when there's nothing tactically uh, you can collaborate on, you can be sharing information if uh, you gain their bond of trust um, over the course of time, and that can greatly, greatly enhance your... Uh, understanding of the map um, which will in turn greatly enhance your results so let's say i'm france talking to turkey uh to more directly respond to bill's question i'm gonna say look neither one of us wants italy to become an enormous fleet power i i, I am fine with if if you don't have more than say uh two three fleets in the med and maybe one in the black sea like just put out some armies, but ultimately uh, we can meet in the middle and we'll both have good results. Um, I'll do what I can to lay off Eng England so that they can pressure Russia. You know, it's you, you, there's all sorts of ways you can go, but basically you want to um, set up a, a dialogue where you're, all, you're, you're focused on their interests. They're going to be trying to do the same thing for you in all likelihood if they're, you know, decent players. So, and you know what your interests are, hopefully. So, you know, I, I think uh, in response to Bill, mostly the answer is to um, produce sound plans that are focused on the interests of the player you're talking to. Hey, Dave, this is Carl. I have a question about stabbing knowing when it's a good time to stab or that you're being talked into a terrible stab, um, talking other people into terrible stabs, looking at that, those kinds of, you know, sudden shifts from the perspective that you're working with. So uh, stabbing is uh, probably worthy of its own entire masterclass uh, or multiple. To give a brief response, uh, for the first thing I would say is you have to consider all the personalities involved and and the nature of the stab. So let's say uh, my neighbor is uh, like I, I'll try to think of a figure you would know you all would know um, like Chris Martin and uh, let's say the other uh, the the second case the neighbor would be um, myself. Okay, so. Uh, let's say you're you're the neighbor of, in one of myself and in another case a Chris Martin. You stab a Chris Martin and he's going to, you know, just instantaneously adapt to it and take it as a new game state and try to proceed as best he can there and negotiate to his advantage and so on. It'll change his picture of you slightly, but it's not going to fundamentally change his approach to the game. 
Whereas if you stab a player like myself, you're going to have to do a lot. Basically, you, you're either going to have to come uh, finish the job or you're going to be in trouble or, or make concessions to get back to the original state because I'm going to take it as a, uh, you know, that you, you've sacrificed uh, the relationship, uh, particularly if it's a smaller and effective stab. Then, then it's just going to become a teaching game for me where I uh, don't care much about my own outcome as, as I do about uh, uh, punishing the bad behavior. Um, so that's that's the first point in stabbing somebody is you have to consider the personalities you're interacting with because it's going to impact how good or poor the stab is. The next thing that would impact it is uh, the position. I, I know I've known a lot of players in the face-to-face -face hobby who have a saying uh, along the lines of, uh, I will always stab for two dots or uh, one dot in position. If, if you get yourself into a position where you essentially have the sort of Damocles over the other players' home centers or like other cr uh, critical elements of their position, then uh, you don't necessarily need to follow through on the stab. You, you could just... Uh, have them as like a janissary if they're if the, you know and cause them minor damage just to get a leg up but not not really uh send their score careening into the toilet as so long as players are able to have some hope and some optimism that they can still get uh some significant yield out of the game they're not probably going to uh form a blood oath with you uh, uh once once you take a dot from them but you also have to do it smartly in a lot of cases especially with top players because your uh, players are going to respond poorly to you you just like stab them for no reason uh for or for no reason they can understand in any case uh, did that answer the question sufficiently Carl or was there Yeah more? That, that that's great I'm I'm thinking about um, some of the sort of like butterfly effect things from that can happen from a stab and when even if someone's got their like you know their back they've got all their juicy centers open to you and you could stab them um, when that would be a bad idea from the sort of gra grand strategy perspective right so let me give, let me give you two different cases uh, so turkey is the most obvious case where it, it frequently makes no sense to stab um, so for a number of reasons. So uh, your Russian neighbor, uh, let's say you are thinking about running on, in on them. Typically, your maximum upside is going to be Sevastopol and Romania. And your downside is going to be the rest of their pieces pressed against your front, probably for the balance of the game, as opposed to being another element operating in the north. Having more, like not having a unified voice on the far side of the board, having a cluster of disparate voices is critical to your strategic interests no matter what position you're in. So frequently as Turkey, like stabbing Russia is just asinine, uh, especially in the early game, I would say, uh, unless you think that you can basically get them diplomatically to seed that front and then move off. Uh, regardless, but that's not going to be the typical case. Again, uh, I want to—I I guess I haven't mentioned it before, but I do want to stress that dip uh, excellent diplomacy can obviate any strategic concerns. Like if you are able to swindle people into believing X, Y, and Z, then uh, your strategy doesn't have to be the best. But most of us are not like ingenious snake oil salesmen. We we need some modicum of strategy as well. 
As far as uh, other powers, because Turkey is kind of, I think, atypical in the regard, let's say you're Germany, um, because that's kind of an opposite position from Turkey. If you're Germany, let's say that uh, you're thinking about stabbing, like you let Russia into Sweden. Now it's 1902. Do you want to just force your way out there and take it off them because they can't do anything about it? I would say typically no. That's the wrong way to go about it. You can make all sorts of more productive pitches than that. You could say, look, all the the only center the the only thing that center's doing for you is supporting the fleet that's sitting on it. And uh that's mostly threatening to me. So unless you're planning on moving it to Norway, like I may as well have it for myself. You can also say orchestrate something potentially if they if they do get Norway. Or, or if they take Norway with an army where you can blow up their fleet and give them a rebuild elsewhere and not and, and let them have the, the center. This is, I think, frankly, a, a very good solution in any position. If you can convince and rebuild elsewhere far away from you, it's very beneficial to let them have the center. Like, it's very likely in most circumstances that the piece they're rebuilding is going to be better for your strategic interests than your yours are if you, like you built you building your own unit because their center the the unit they build is going to be throwing an additional wrench into the uh, far side of the board that you can't directly impact um, which again is critical to your strategic interests if you're trying to win the game I, I hope that was a sufficient answer if you've got a more directed question than that. Uh, Thanks. That was that was great. Thank you, Dave. Okay. Yeah. So uh, at the beginning of a game, do you have a preference based on country on the other side of the stalemate line for who you want to uh, see succeed or or not succeed? Like based on correlations of right. how countries do together. I would say that you. My my thinking is, uh, and again, there are two. I want to re reiterate there are two schools of thought on this, but my thinking is that I want uh, no one to succeed. I would rather have the game hunkered down in just a brutal, you know, like, frankly, like the original World War One. Like, I would rather have it just hunkered down, no one be moving anywhere, everyone be getting increasingly aggravated with each other except for me because ultimately that's going to produce the best result, I think. Uh, so my initial response would be I want to see no one on the far side of the board succeed, but um, given that that's uh, generally not going to be realistic, usually even if it slows, someone's going to uh, emerge as more dominant than less uh, on the far side of the board. I, I would say that the pairings are pretty evident in who you would want to succeed. So let's say uh, you're, let's say you're France. You, as France, I find uh, you want army powers to succeed. Like you want uh, anyone who's building armies to succeed. I mean, obviously, other than Germany, if they're attacking you. But if Germany's going elsewhere, great. You know. What you don't want is England, Italy, uh, Turkey, or, or, or England and Italy primarily, but also Turkey and Russia, uh, if they end up growing large and supplanting England or Italy, to succeed with navies. Because your position is going to be, uh, as France, I find, you're just basically 
trying to get the uh, no one to be constantly attacking you, and then if you get yourself into the mid game, frequently you're going to have a turn where you're just going to explode for several centers, and you're going to be one of the major powers. I mean, that's just the I think the fact of France. I would say that uh, my first my first caveat being that I don't want anyone else to succeed. Um, beyond that, I would say that. Yeah, there's there are natural allies and natural uh, enemies, although that again can be obviated by diplomacy. There there are no truisms in that regard, but there are certain certainly tendencies. Um, Bill says, "Are there players you feel play with a similar style uh, to you?" Um, I would say that Nicola uh, does is not the player who I would say has the similar style um, because. Nicola, I think, wants to achieve the same early game objectives. Um, but if you if you ask him, like he he's never soloed. Like he's just playing for the tournament result. Like right. Like he's he's a better tournament player than I am, and like I'm better at winning the game than he is. So you know, it depends. I think on what you're going for. Um, cause I, I find it like I, I can, at the, at the very last second, I can, uh, grudgingly ask an ally for a center or two, if it's going to make a massive, uh, boost to my score and no effective difference to theirs. But like, it's very, very hard for me to, for me to get myself to care about, uh, you know, turn to the tournament scoring system or the league scoring system I'm playing under. Whereas Nicola is very tuned into that, and he's excellent at succeeding it uh, in, in in a larger entity. So I think of all the play, I think uh, Goff is a good is a really good uh, case example of somebody who has a very similar style to myself because he uh, similarly he has the same kind of opening uh, strategy as uh, myself and Nicola, but um, and he has also the same kind of uh, I would say uh, tenaciousness is myself and Nicola and, uh, and and takes being stabbed very poorly, especially when it's, you know, like when it wasn't well done, it didn't have a good impact for the player in question that was stabbing. Um, but Goff has a, uh, is I would say, uh, maybe a as good of a strategist as I am and probably as good of a tactician Um but a better diplomat to be sure. So I would say the probably the I, I think I'm really good, but I would say probably the holistic apex of my playstyle is Androgoff from the players I've I've played with. What about once you are moving and you are um, taking down an opponent? What sort of diplomacy do you want to have with other players who are not your ally or the person you're taking down to? keep focus away from you first and foremost you want to uh make clear that if you succeed uh in getting through your immediate objective that they're not next i i can't speak to the uh like the more david hood um strategy of grabbing an ally killing pl players you know advancing across the line so but just for myself i would say i am not looking to take down the player like let's say i'm um, France and and I've gotten working with England against Germany. Like, I just want to get through Munich, really. You know, I, I if if I get through Munich, uh, like, uh, why do I want to have uh, Germany lose all their coastal centers to England? 
you know, and then have an enormous England that I can't do much about, uh, and that's going to be a, you know, a perennial source of angst for, for the rest of the game. You know, like I just, if I am able to uh, tactically or diplomatically get my pieces through Munich, and Germany is happy to let me do that. I don't want England to succeed against them. You know, even if I've been working with them, like I want to do everything I can. That's not like overtly aggressive towards England to slow down uh, the progress of either side while I advance my own strategic objectives into the long term. You know, uh, whether it be getting across stalemate lines by getting through Munich or laying off the bull for them so that they go after uh, potentially enormous Russia. You know, it, it's all situational, but I would say it's more about understanding your strategic objectives and then from turn to turn and then tuning, attuning your turn-by-turn um, -turn goals tactically and diplomatically to uh, adjust to those objectives. Diplomatically, do you try to position yourself as the wise sage for people on the other end of the board they should come to for tactics as to what they should do? I would say if if there are, uh, it depends on the personality, like there are definitely players that respond poorly to any tactical advice, like uh, Brian Sheldon and Eric Mead come to mind. Like I, I've definitely met players who, uh, want to form their own plans no matter how poor uh, they are, right? Like, even if you're looking at them like uh, you know the moves are going to fail, diplomatically, just keep your mouth shut, you know, depending on the player because they're going to respond poorly because there's some uh, ego-driven concern about, like, taking advice uh, on their tactics. On the other hand, if it's a brand, like, if it's a fairly new player, like, I will happily spend, like, 12 minutes out of my diplomacy phase, you know, walking them through things if in a critical uh, moment, you know, like you have to consider the merits and costs of working with players on the basis of not just their persona, uh, but also their experience level. There's a lot of players who want to work with experienced players. Like uh, I can think of many players who want to work with experienced players, uh, some that exclusive, almost exclusively do so. Um, I consider it a mistake. I consider working with unknown quantities until they prove themselves to be capricious, even if they're less tactically competent, to be a great benefit to you strategically. Like, if I'm working with a, a super experienced player, then that's always going to be it's it's going to take up less time out of my diplomacy phase, but it's also going to suck late game if I'm trying to get to eighteen. Um, is the is the is the short end of it. Whereas, let's say uh, you you have like a fairly new player, you uh, I find it's better to just think of them as an aphid, and just you know lovingly fatten, fatten up their position. Um, and even if, even if it's, you know, to an irrational extent, one of two things is going to happen. Either uh, that'll be like a, a dot farm for you later in the game, um, or they'll get a, a good result and have a good feeling out of the game and, uh, you know, remember that you were the person that brought it to you and may, maybe it'll pay dividends in the future. But I would say, like, 
a lot of maybe not the majority, maybe the majority, probably around 50% of top level players will not want to work with the newer players as much. And I can, I've always considered that to be a gross mistake. Uh, but again, um, I want to reiterate, I'm not a good tournament player. Like I said earlier, I'm a good diplomacy player and there's a big difference. Don't type up a question yeah. for you. Uh, described as an adventure unit when growing, do you give thoughts to interior lines and focusing on keeping gains within range of support, or do you go where the dots are and adjust accordingly? So I like to have uh, positional security as much as anyone. Um, like, I do like to have front if possible and whatnot, but I would say that's for the early to maybe the early portion of the mid-game. I would say that I have supreme confidence in my tactical ability, which means that once I'm in a conflict and the diplomacy is uh, become less of a significant portion of what's happening, um, because the alliance structures are uh, more or less set, at least for the short term, I would say that I love having an open position because I... And I, I want to have as much chaos as possible because I always feel that I will outguess my opposition more than they will outguess me. And as a consequence, I, I don't know. I think it, it also ties into how I see tactics. Like I'm very Napoleonic in my thinking and very much want to create uh, confusion, blow up uh, or dislodge or disband other people's pieces, have a, a very complicated position where uh, the correct moves aren't obvious to anyone because then I feel like uh, I will get into the other person's mind and make the correct uh, guess more frequently than the converse. So in response to the question, I would say uh, interior lines are um, desirable, but personally, and I'm not saying go where the dots are exactly, but I'm saying once once uh, you're past the point where you, you strategic, you're into the mid-game, strategic flexibility isn't really available as much because you've got a bigger position and it's bound to be uh, threatening to somebody. If I'm in conflict with someone, I would rather have a chaotic position um, and worry less about uh, interior lines uh, and even my own center, uh, the, the, the center's... Uh, as much as creating a, a position where I will be able to outguess the opposition uh, on a frequent basis. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with uh, what Bill just typed, which is for the benefit of Brother Board, Napoleon introduced the core concept where disparate forces would move independently and converge on a target. This allowed them to move more efficiently than they would as large mass. Um, but again, like I, I, that that is a general tendency of mine for sure. Like I am for sure influenced by Napoleonic thinking tactically more than any other thinker, I would say. But um, I want to reiterate a point I brought up earlier that uh, tactics is all about just understanding the psychology of your opposition. Like I remember uh, as a specific example, I like to use. Uh, it was a uh, tournament on, on the coast of Vancouver run by uh, Mike Hall some years ago. And I was playing in a game with uh, excellent all-around player Jeff Dwarnicky, a uh, very solid tactician. And I, I forget the positions and what have you, but uh, the, crux of the, uh, the crux of the matter is that uh, the orders are being read out on one turn. 
and Jeff's orders are read before mine. And I'm like, yes. And I just audibly am like, yes. And he looks at me and he's like, why are you excited? What did you move one piece at all of my pieces unsupported? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's exactly what I did because I know you. Um, move set that was incredibly objectively stupid. Like, you know, if you taken out of context, just like really, really couldn't have made a more terrible set of moves, but it was the set of moves that I believed was going to defeat what Jeff was trying to do. And I had the courage to do the stupid moves, essentially. That's what, um, being a good tactician is about in diplomacy is understanding the opponent's going to do and then no matter how dumb it seems to you pulling the trigger all right i'd like to thank you for your time dave thanks for doing this everyone should watch for the coming write-up and brother board's potential podcast uh next week i think on easter we're canceling it uh there is no master class next week but in two weeks uh, Adam Silverman is going to give a talk on the stalemate line. Well, thanks to everybody who participated. You've been listening to Masterclass. To participate in future Masterclass sessions, please join the Virtual World Diplomacy Community's Discord server by following the link in the episode description. And remember to subscribe to the Diplomacy Dojo podcast for Brother Boards Dojo, as well as future Masterclass recordings. Thanks to Frederick Larden for the music Robot is Chilling, used here in our intro and outro.